0: Speaking of tithing, um, did you know that in Las Vegas, people uh, tithe, can tithe, by dropping casino chips into the offering bucket? (laughs) Interesting, huh? After each service, there's a clergyman who goes around to all the casinos and cashes out the chips and then makes a bank deposit. Uh, He's called a chipmunk. Whoa! Get out of here. Jesus' name cast you out. Let's reload. All right. Get your Bibles out. Turn to the book of Revelation. I thought we would conclude the series on the seven churches of Revelation. Last week, um, but we are actually landing the plane this week because I started preaching on Laodicea and I realized there's way too much content to pack into one message last week. So um, there was more I wanted to get to this week. So we'll be finishing up here this week. So uh, go ahead and put up that picture of the, um, the map of the seven churches of Revelation. Okay, We put this up almost every week. But this is the region that, um, uh, that we've been talking about, the seven churches that are there. Again, it was in the year 96 A.D. Jesus appeared to uh, John on the island Patmos. We'll get it later, don't worry about it. I'm, we're good. There's a little bit of water up here. But if I fall, just laugh, okay? <laughs> and, or pray that I don't. But in the year 96 A.D., the, the, Jesus appears to the now significantly aged apostle. John the apostle, of course, in his late teens or early 20s, walked with Jesus and was part of Jesus' ministry. Some 65 years later, Jesus appears to this, the last living apostle, John, on the island of Patmos because John was exiled to the island of Patmos for his testimony of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus gave instruction, encouragement, and um, counsel to these seven churches of Asia Minor, um, I won't do a review of every message. But um, if you've missed any of these messages in the series, you can go back and listen to them on our podcast or on YouTube. Today, the, our part nine is uh, today's message, um, and the title is Christ sufficiency as opposed to self sufficiency. As Christians, we are supposed to have Christ sufficiency, and if you ever get to the point. And man, this happens to us all the time where we start relying on other things other than the Lord. We become a little bit confident in ourselves, confident in our money, confident in our whatever security you have. Um, that's, That's a recipe to get your eyes off of Jesus. The book of Revelation, more accurately, would be titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is primarily not a book about future apocalyptic events, it it talks about that, but uh, rather it is a book that reveals Jesus himself. It is a revelation of Jesus from Jesus. The most important thing you can get out of studying the book of Revelation is not who is the Antichrist or what is the mark of the beast. The most important thing you can get out of the book of Revelation is getting a revelation of Jesus himself. Getting, catching a glimpse of who he is. And in these few short chapters, Revelation um, chapter one, two, and three, there have been many uh, facets that, the, that Jesus has revealed of himself. Because how many know, whatever you're facing, whatever they were facing, Jesus begins with highlighting his sufficiency and highlighting who he is. For example, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one who holds the seven stars. He's the one who died and now lives forever. Uh, He's the one who has the sharp, double-edged sword. He's the one who has eyes like flames of fire, who has the sevenfold spirit, the one who holds the key of David, the ruler of God's creation, just to name a few. And we unpacked many of those things over these last few weeks, those facets of who Jesus is. And man, that is the best thing you can do in this life is keep your focus, keep your eyes on Jesus, and, and allow him to be revealed to your heart. Let's read Revelation 3, 14 through 22 To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Okay, if you missed last week's message, I thoroughly explained what that means and does not mean. And most people uh, misinterpret verses 15 and 16. In fact, I, I misinterpreted those verses for years until I finally learned what that's all about. So if you missed last week, go back and listen to that. I thoroughly explain what that is and is not. Verse 17, you say, I am rich and have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that so, so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, again, I mention this almost every week, but you see a pattern of exhortation that Jesus gives to the churches. Typically, Jesus acknowledges and praises their strengths. He confronts their weaknesses, he offers them guidance, and then he encourages them with a promised reward. In the case of Laodicea, this is the only church that Jesus had nothing to commend them for. He had nothing praiseworthy to say of them. Um, I would say the most encouraging thing that can be found that he spoke to the church of Laodicea was verse 19. He says this, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. In spite of all of your shortcomings, I love you. And I am committed to your success. I'm committed to your maturity. How many know that's a good word for some of us? I've gone through seasons where I'm like, Lord, say something good about me. And he's like, hmm, I love you. <laughs> Ever had a season like that? Just encourage me, ah, let's see. I love you a lot, you know. I've gone through seasons like that. But how many know, in the midst of our In maturity, in the midst of our insecurity, in the midst of our, you know, shortcomings, he still loves us and he's still committed to our maturity. You are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God is committed to your maturity. He is on a mission to make you look like, act like, and talk like Jesus. And we can cooperate with that program and hurry it up, amen? All right, let's break down verses 17 through 22. Jesus starts with the correction. Verse 17, you say, I am rich and have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I don't know if the Lord's ever said that to you. That would be kind of a hard word. But Jesus highlights their weakness, which is self-sufficiency. Laodicea has been called the most self-sufficient uh, a city of the ancient world. They were, um, they were certainly the, the, the richest and most self sufficient of the seven uh, cities that we've been studying. Notice that they said of themselves, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I'm, I'm self made. I have acquired wealth. I don't need anything. I've, I've got everything I need. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that you're well off. Um, maybe some of you are well, I think we're all kind of well off, right? We're Americans. Um, and as Americans, uh, we're, I can say with honesty, we're the richest and most powerful country in the world. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that. However, you and I would do well, and as a country we would do well, uh, to realize that the only reason we have wealth or power is because God put it in our hands. And it can be taken away from us in a day. Uh, if you read later on in the book of Revelation, you'll see that, that the, the system of Babylon was will be overthrown in one hour. So, you know, a country can be overthrown in a day. In fact, a nation can be born in a day, says Isaiah 66. Can a nation be born in a day? A nation can be born in a day. A nation can be torn down in a day. So l- lest we think that we're so secure because we're Americans, uh, listen, God can take that away in, in a moment if he wants to. The more important question isn't... Um, Do we have power? The the important question is, um, why do we have power? Why has God given the United States power? That's the important question that we we should be asking. I don't say this to scare you. I say this to help you see that we need, as a country and individually, need to stay dependent on the Lord and humble. Amen? It's easy to trust in earthly things when they bring us so much apparent comfort they bring us so much apparent security and we need to be careful of that there are everything how many know that god will shake everything that can be shaken and i assure you that anything that is not firmly on the foundation of jesus can be shaken and he's he gladly will shake that thing in your life verse 18 this is where he gets into the counsel he says this i counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Jesus says, buy from me. I want you to notice there are three things they were instructed to receive, to get from Jesus, to buy from Jesus. Number one, gold. That is true riches. I want you to get true riches for me, Jesus says. Clothing to cover them. Spiritual covering. I want you to get spiritual covering to cover you. And spiritual sight. There were three things that Laodicea prided themselves in. Number one, Laodicea was a major banking and financial center. Number two, Laodicea was a large clothing manufacturer. That city was a large clothing manufacturer city. And number three, they were famous for an eye salve, an eye ointment, that they exported to all around the world. They would make these eye tablets and um, you would drop them in water and they would dissolve, and, and you could put this ointment into your eyes. And it was world famous. They exported it all around the world. So let's go over each of these. Number one, it was a great banking and financial center, one of the wealthiest cities in the world at that time. In 61 AD, Laodicea was devastated by an earthquake, but they were so rich and independent, they refused help from the Roman government. The citizens banded together with their own resources, and rebuilt their city. This is exactly why Jesus would say, you say I am rich and have acquired wealth, and I don't need anything. We don't need anything from you, Rome. We've got this ourselves. That's how, that's how prideful um, they were in their own ability. But Jesus declared that, spiritually speaking, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The word pitiful there, it means in great need of mercy. You do not realize that you're actually in great need of mercy. How many know that we are all in great need of mercy, Amen. If you ever get to the point where you're a little bit cocky and self-righteous, listen, you're in great need of mercy. We need his grace to get saved, and we need his grace to walk with him daily. But notice Jesus says, you do not realize. In other words, Jesus is highlighting a blind spot. Now, Let me ask a question. Do you have a blind spot? I don't know. Neither do you, because it's a blind spot. You can't see it, right? But this becomes no longer a blind spot for them because Jesus reveals to them, you've had a blind spot, and I'm bringing it into the light to reveal this to you. I think we all have blind spots. I think your, your spouse sitting next to you has blind spots, which I'm sure you're aware of, and they're aware of yours, so. But again, because Jesus loves this church, he's pointing out a vulnerability that they didn't realize they had. They were rich in the natural, but they were spiritually impoverished. Saved, yes. Thriving, no. Church, I want to say this. It is possible to be heaven-bound. It's possible to be saved, but be spiritually impoverished and not even realize it. That is probably the, the the saddest thing to be spiritually impoverished and not even and think you're fine, think you're doing just great. Listen, is the Lord's grace and His mercy to reveal to you, you're actually bankrupt, you're actually morally, you know, whatever. Um, so saved, yes; thriving, no. How many know that walking an aisle and praying a prayer? or raising your hand to receive Jesus, that doesn't mean you're going to be spiritually thriving. That means you're saved when you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you invite him in your heart and receive that gift of salvation that we were singing so much about today. Yes, we're heaven-bound, but to be spiritually thriving is a whole other subject. And I just say, when people come to the Lord, I'm just like, man, get in the word of God. Get in the Word of God and create that into a dialogue of prayer between you and the Lord. What does this mean? And get in the Word of God. Why? Because that's how you're going to grow spiritually. That's how you're going to mature spiritually. That's how you're going to uh, thrive spiritually is by getting in the Word of God and, and and developing a relationship with the Lord. Anyone can receive that gift when God moves upon their heart, but not, even, not everyone will thrive spiritually unless they mature. In the case of Laodicea, they weren't thriving because they were self-sufficient and prideful. Okay, what is this gold talking about? The gold talk is, speaks of a few different things, but it, um, one thing I want to mention is it's faith. First Peter 1, 6, and 7 says this. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials... These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is revealed. How many know that the faith is free, but faith refined in the fire costs something? Faith is free. It is, it is by grace... Through faith that you have been saved, this is not of yourselves, that it is a gift of God. Even, even the faith that you have, salvation is a gift, but even the faith to believe is a gift. That's not from you. You can't boast about that. You might, I don't have great faith. Listen, there's only one type of faith, it's God's faith. And God imparts that faith to us so that we can believe and then receive the gift of salvation. That's free. But how many know faith refined in the fire is costly? The second thing that Laodicea was known for was that it was a great uh, center of clothing manufacture. Uh, manufacturing. Laodicea's sheep were world famous. They had a rich, glossy, black wool. In fact, I have a, have a picture of these glossy sheep. It looks like they've been shorn recently. Uh, Laodicean factories made four kinds of outer garments, which were in tunics that were exported uh, worldwide. And Jesus counseled them as this. I counsel you to buy for me White clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Okay, what are these white clothes, and how do we put them on? Now, again, I want to say the clothes are free, but it might cost you something to put the clothes on. Revelation 19, 7 and 8 says this. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb, that's Jesus, has come and his bride, the church, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Notice, the garments are given to the bride to wear. Watch this, though. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Notice, the garments are given the bride to wear. They're free. Uh, they're the right- What are they? The righteous acts. Now, according to Romans, if you're taking notes, according to Romans 5.17, we have received the gift of Righteousness. Amen? Right standing, right relationship between you and God. We receive that by faith. Um, and so when God, as Emily was reading that verse in Colossians earlier, um, that, that's how God sees you. A holy, righteous, and pure in his sight. And how many know if he sees you that way, you can see yourself that way? Yes. Amen? That is a gift. Righteousness is a gift. But how do you put righteousness on you live out righteousness through your actions. And that's where it costs something. Receiving the gift is free. Putting righteousness on can be costly. Living out those actions. Let me give you a... you guys hear that? My shoes are squeaking up here. It's going to be dry by the time I'm done, though. How many know that if I say I want to take... Say for my wife's birthday, I give her a really beautiful dress. I'm like, I want you to wear this. I'm going to take you on a date. How many think that would be nice? So the dress is a gift. (laughs) Did you think that was? Yeah? Okay. Yeah. My number one vote right here. How many know that would be a free gift to her? But it would cost her something to put it on because it takes women forever to get ready. (laughs) Does it not? Can I get a witness? Amen. Yeah. Okay. The garments of righteousness—they're given to you for free, but living out righteousness can be costly. Was the last thing, verse eighteen. Uh, again, I counsel you to buy from me salve to put on your to put on your eyes so that you can see. Again, the salve is free, but it costs something to apply the salve. What is what is this? It is. It speaks of spiritual insight, spiritual sight. Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. I love this verse. This is uh, one of the apostolic prayers of Paul. He says this to the church of Ephesians. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That is such a good prayer right there. God, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you more. I pray that the eyes of your heart. Did you know your heart has eyes? The eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Listen, does the spirit of wisdom and revelation cost you something? No. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, it's free. But how many know that knowing him can be costly? Walking with him daily can be costly. For starters, it takes time. It takes time to know him. It's a free gift that will cost you something. How many know that salvation is the free gift that will cost you everything? <laughs> amen. It'll cost. It costs your whole life. It's worth it, Amen. Because what are we giving? What are we giving him anyway? It's just our lives. What are you doing with it? Nothing. <laughs> Give it to him. <laughs> Give it to him because you're not doing anything with it anyway. What else is free that causes us to see? That rhymes. What else is free that causes us to see? His word. Psalm uh, 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. How many know the word of God is free? This was, canonized scripture was written long before I was born. It was free, but it costs something to know the word and it costs something to live out the word, amen? Let me, let me review this, and we'll, we'll start to bring this to a close here. Faith is free, but it costs something to have refined faith. Faith is free, but how many are living out the Christian life? Your faith gets refined over time, and that's costly. Righteousness is free, but it costs something to put righteous acts into practice. His word is free, but it costs something to know his word, and it costs something to live out his word. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy these things from me. Buy gold from me. Buy these things from me. And then he points to verse 20 a promised crown. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone has ears, uh, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. What a beautiful promise to all of us. Jesus promises to come into the heart of anyone who opens their heart to him. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He promises to, but not only just save us, but to come into our lives, to sit down, come into our homes, and to have fellowship with us, to eat with us, amen, to satisfy the desires of our hearts. Verse 21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. What an amazing promise. This speaks of being, uh, that we are co-heirs with Christ and we will co-reign with Christ. We will rule and reign with him for all of eternity. We are kings and priests that will rule and reign with him for all of eternity. What an amazing promise that it's not just gonna be Us looking at Jesus like, go Jesus, rule and reign. No, he's like, come up here with me and rule and reign with me. I'm going to give you some of my authority, and you're going to rule and reign alongside of me. This is amazing. We have an eternal vocation. Eternal vocation to worship the Lord and to rule and reign with him. I don't know what that's going to look like specifically, but it's going to be pretty cool. When I was a young man, I was uh, about 20 years old, I was in a men's Bible study and we were, we were worshiping. And I had this experience that I, at, at the time I thought this is, I was like rebuking it. But I had, this, um, I had this vision that I was sitting on God's throne with him. And I remember, I'm sitting there and I'm, I remember looking out and there's, there's a bunch of, you know, worshipers. And I was like, whoa, 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 no, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I can't be up here, you know. Of course... No human is a, no one, it should not be the um, object of, of anyone's worship. That's not the point. But God was, what God was doing was showing me this facet. I, didn't, I wasn't familiar with this verse that he says, you will, the one who's victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I sat on my father's throne. And I like, rebuked that vision because I was like, no, I can't be up here with you, Lord. This is too lofty. This is too high. And then I read this verse, and I was like, oh, wait, it's biblical. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet, I get to rule and reign with you forever. We get to co-reign with Jesus forever and ever and ever. That's a good promise. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whosoever. How many whosoever's we have in here? Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. As you read these verses in, in Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3. I pray that God gives you ears to hear what he's saying to the church, the churches and the church as a whole. Amen? Awesome. Well, I will conclude this series and this message with this. Um, The church of Pergamum, I mentioned this a few weeks, weeks ago, Jesus said this to the church of Pergamum, Revelation 2, 17. He said this, The one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. This morning, I have a white stone for everyone. In fact, can, I, can you give me one white stone? There's a, I have, thank you, sir. All right, I have white stones that we're going to send you out the door. In fact, I, I haven't told anyone this, but if you're a uh, communion server this morning, I have buckets uh, in, on the front row, and as we get ready to close here, and as people are exiting, I want you to hand out these white stones. What, what does the white stone mean? What does it represent? We talked about this when we talked about the Church of Pergamum a few weeks ago. But in, in those times, in the, 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 the Roman culture there, they did trial by jury. And they had jury members, and the jury members had two stones. They had a white stone, and they had a black stone. A white stone represented an innocent verdict. A black stone represented um, a guilty verdict. And each juror would cast their stone into the the center, and it was a majority vote. If, If the majority of stones were white, the person was acquitted. If the majority of stones were black, that person was guilty of the crime they were being accused of. Jesus says to us, I will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. What I want you to do with these stones, as we're acting, we're gonna just worship for a minute and we'll, and we'll dismiss. What I want you to do with these stones is keep them as a reminder, stones of remembrance, a reminder of the innocent verdict that God has given you. Just like communion, communion is a reminder of the blood and, and the body the sacrificed for you to make you right with God. Keep these as a reminder. So put it on a bookshelf, a desk drawer, the console of your car, use it as a paperweight, whatever. Keep it somewhere where you'll see it. But if you come, uh, if you have a season where you're feeling just uh, an extraordinary season of doubt and guilt and shame and condemnation, get the stone out and remember the innocent verdict that Jesus has spoken over you. How many know that Satan is the accuser of the brethren? He'll accuse God to you, you to God, you to your brother and sister. He's always accusing. He'll accuse you to you. He'll get you to accuse yourself and get you to agree with it. Come in agreement with him. How many know if you believe the lie, you empower the liar? Amen. But if we believe the one who is true, the one who is faithful and true, we empower the one who has has cleansed us from all of our sins. Additionally, I want to just encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. Maybe it's not the new name that he'll give you on that day. I don't know. Maybe the new name he'll give me will be longer than this rock is, you know. But ask the Lord a facet of your identity in him. And if you want, you can write that, take a Sharpie and write a facet of, of your identity on the rock. And, um, and, and so ask the Holy Spirit to, and listen, it's a name known only to the person who receives it. So God has a name for you that only, is only between you and the Lord. I don't know the name. But he has a name between you and the Lord. I want you to go home, take some time and pray, God, God, what is the name you have for me? And maybe it's not the name he gives you on that day. Maybe it's just a facet of the identity that you have in Christ. And if he gives you something, write it down. If he, if he doesn't, you can just write on there, innocent, pure, acquitted, redeemed, you know, because that's what this represents. And then on the other side of the rock, if he gives you a scripture that, corresponds to your identity or just another scripture that he's speaking to you can write that down if anything else you can you can write revelation uh 2 17 on here just as a remembrance of of um this this particular scripture so i'm gonna pray uh we'll we'll do just a a moment of worship here and then uh and then we'll we'll close so father we love you i thank you for every person in this place lord i pray that God, you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you more and that we would know, God, that there's no enmity, there's no distance, there's no separation between you and us because you've torn down the wall, the separation, the barrier that was between us. You did it with your blood, Lord. God, I pray this morning that we would um, be so convinced of your righteousness in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.